Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. Good day. My name is Evelyn Aka, and this is the Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka podcast. I'm the founder and managing lawyer of Aka Business Immigration Law, and on this podcast, we are covering all aspects of immigration for professionals and individuals who are looking to move to Canada and the United States for work, for family, or for personal reasons. If you are looking to make that move, you can download our free guide at acalaw.com. I have the real pleasure today of welcoming my friend and colleague, Samir Kadakur. He is the founder and managing lawyer of Banyan Law, based in California, where he focuses on U.S. immigration law, especially focused on startups, Fortune 500 companies, and um, what else do you do? You do everything. And well, employee base. Founders. Yeah. <laughs> founders, all investors. Yeah. Lots of things to talk about. Welcome, Samir. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I wanted to have you on our podcast because you do um, a kind of immigration law, obviously, that I don't do as a U.S. attorney, really focused on like Silicon Valley and that whole industry. Can you tell me how you got into this field, like different from just a general immigration lawyer? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You have um, to go all the way back to the beginning of your life. but <laughs> Well, but actually, the beginning of my life does inform how I started yeah. <laughs> immigration. Tell me. So my, well, this is what I tell people. So my mom, actually, so she was living in my dad. My mom and dad were living in L.A. Um, uh, after they got married and before I was born. And then my mom got pregnant. She went back to India to have me, mm-hmm. uh, which is the opposite of what everyone was trying to do back then. So my mom's <laughs> kind of quirky, you know quirky mom but she was also feeling super alone and she wanted her support system out there and so i was born in india and i had a green card for like when i came back i had a green card of permanent residency for 30 years and the government kept messing up my name on my on my green card so when i was like 13 or 14 i'd have to go stand in line and and like try to convince them to fix it which is something they should have done but i feel like i had to convince them and that was my first exposure to like working with bureaucrats and trying to convince wow. them to do, do a job they're supposed to do. And I really thought I was pretty good at it. I liked it. I saw a bunch of people around me as a kid who seemed like they had, you know, they just needed a lot of help. And it just planted the seed. And fast forward to law school, I didn't I had no idea what I wanted to do. I graduated law school without a job. Mm-hmm. I fell into work at a small immigration firm in San Francisco. That's where I learned business immigration. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how it started. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. I can't believe that poor kid having to stand in line, get your name corrected. Why did you wait so long? I mean, this is obviously off topic, but to become a citizen. So, well, it it was, um, that's a great question. I'm kind of a natural procrastinator. uh, So that's one thing. Uh, Number two, I think I was kind of scared of the immigration process. Um, which is, you know, you know how it feels like now our clients are scared of it. We kind of understand mm-hmm. having gone through it ourselves, like, oh, this is actually not the easiest thing in the world. It's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and the unknown, you know, the complexity of it. But when I became a lawyer, an immigration lawyer, that's when I did it. Because that's when I, oh, I know how to do this now. I, I get <laughs> I understand the process work. So that's when I applied for myself. And um, <laughs> back then I was grading the bar exam. Yeah. Uh, the California bar exam. Uh, and the officer said, okay, because usually you're supposed to like answer six uh, questions correctly, like civics questions correctly, right? He's like, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a pass. If you give, give me some tips that I could take back to my buddy who's taking the bar exam right now. <laughs> and no one believes me, but that actually happened. That kind Seriously? of stuff never happens anymore. But this is like 2004. 
that kind of, that kind of stuff still kind of happened back yeah. then, but not, nowadays, like, forget about it. It's hardcore. <laughs> well, no, that's yeah. really interesting how you got into this field. You've been doing it for over 17 years. Obviously, like me, it's a passion. There's a purpose. You have a strong why. Um, tell me kind of what your ideal client looks like. What would that avatar be for you at Banyan Law? I mean, um, well, as you know, in kind of business immigration, uh, there's like a few ways we love to help our clients. Um, there's working with companies, right? Because companies kind of need advice on how to hire talented people, how to keep them happy, how to get them permanent residency, how to deal with all the in-betweens and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I love doing that, kind of working as a corporate advisor, especially to companies who value the contribution of immigrants, who uh, value the partnership. You know, mm -hmm. see us more, um, see us more as a trusted advisor rather than a, just a vendor or commodity, right? Yeah. Commoditized services. So, so that's um, my kind of corporate client avatar. And then the kind of individual side, right? There are high skilled immigrants, like thousands and thousands, maybe close to a million of them now. Mm -hmm. They end up mostly being Indian nationals just because of the nature of our green card quota. Yeah. They have the longest lines of any other national in this country. Um, but they also tend to be the most pop populous like uh, of all nationalities when it comes to technology workers and yeah. the, the big tech employees and really, really talented people uh, who are super frustrated with immigration. And it so happens that I just know a lot of them because of where I live. I live here in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. I'm India. Sometimes our families tend to know the same people. And I just, yeah. I just met a lot of them. I kind of feel their pain. My father was a high skilled immigrant coming into the country. He told me about his difficulties. It seemed very personal to me. Mm -hmm. And so finding ways to help this community, which I would think it's in the interest of our country uh, to help them because they contribute so much. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure if the entire country feels that way yet, just based on the laws that we have. And a lot of them end up going to Canada your way. Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> just because they don't feel the love here in it America. It takes so but, long yeah. in the States. Like, yeah. let me, you know, explain to me because I know that there are different lists for green card eligibility or whatever, why is the India nationality list, is it India and then China in terms of the mm -hmm. most populous, like the longest list? Yeah, so like, was it back in the 60s or 70s uh, when our like most recent kind of green card quota laws were created? Mm -hmm. um, they, they were trying to keep things like uh, equally diverse amongst yeah. all nationalities. So what they did was they said, okay, if you're being sponsored for a work-based green card, no more than 7% of any one nationality can take up, you know, this, this quota. So, mm -hmm. but in terms of like employment-based green cards and visas and that kind of thing, they're mostly used for technology workers, right? Because yes. that's where our biggest shortfalls have, you know, been, especially since like the 90s, right? In the mm -hmm. early 2000s and whatnot. So, um, and then most of these, these talented folks come from India and then yeah. to some extent China. Um, yeah. And so they just have the most applicants. And because only a certain number of them can come in every year and get, actually can get to change their status to green cards every year, mm -hmm. their lines are the longest of anybody else. Right. It's unbelievable. So why, what is that called? You know, what is that that name for that list or the line? Or I mean, people call me. Uh, <laughs> we call it backlog. Uh, no, it's, just, it's a backlog, um, but there's something about I'm in the green card, and there's like this whatever that backlog is, but there's like a name for it. Anyway, I'm forgetting it what it is, but well, whatever it's called, it's, it's uh, some estimates have it um, stretching for as long as 150 years now. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so then, okay, this takes us to your focus. How yeah. are you able to help people if they have H1B for yeah. 10 years? 
how are you able to help them if they're never going to be selected for getting into out of the backlog what can you do for them well i mean so they have two concerns right they have like a concern about just like the now like they need a job they need a visa otherwise you can't even be here um the kids are in school their family needs support whatever um so their companies have immigration lawyers that just do the minimum because that's what that system is set up as you know to get them a visa and put them in line for that long green card because yeah. putting them in line for that long green card ensure that they can continue working for that company, right? Yeah. So that's all a company is really going to do. And that's kind of all they should, should be expected to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, what's the uh, employee to do? Like the employee feels like all their dreams are, they're, they're more than just one job, right? They're, yes. they're, it's, a, it's a bunch of different things and they don't feel the freedom. Um, they feel almost chained, right? To this visa yeah. process. Um, they don't feel like they can innovate. They can start companies. Uh, they can do different things um, that will ultimately be good for the com- for the country, right? So, yeah. um, so one of the things that we do is there are two ways to petition for your own green card. One of the ways doesn't really help Indians because it's still a long backlog. Um, mm-hmm. In some cases, it does. The other way it really would, which is called the EB1A Extraordinary Ability Petition. Yeah. Um, and if you can prove through various ways that you're at the very, very top of your field, then you can be part of the faster green card quota um, yeah. where there virtually is no line. And instead of 150 years, it's like two years or something, <laughs> right? So that's a no-brainer, but it's really, really hard. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of people don't qualify because they're not at the very top of their field. So what we help them understand is what you could do to get to the top of your field from an EV1 perspective, mm-hmm. which is like also telling them what they can do just to kind of kick butt in their own jobs, right? Yeah. And really contribute to this company, a uh, country, big mm-hmm. company. So, um, that's, so that's basically it. So it's a little career counseling, um, but mostly immigration counseling to kind of get permanent residency and freedom from freedom constraints. Yeah, of the visa process. Yeah, and then I mean, I'm just thinking about the tech layoffs that are continuing, mm-hmm. continuing. What do you tell people on H-1B that have now lost their jobs, mm-hmm. been laid off, yeah. their status in the States is is up in the air? Mm-hmm. What are their options when this, this yeah. is brutal? It's, you know, on the one hand, it's like, gosh, there's so many layers to this, right? Because the layoffs themselves were, you know, if, there was a lot of overhiring happening uh, yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. So the, the layoffs themselves are just a correction, which is kind of like they're, they're, it's, a, it's an amoral situation. It's not yeah. good or bad. It, is, it is what it is. Yeah. But what's what stinks is like the Indian nationals who are affected, like they should have had green cards years ago. If we yeah. had a sensible green card, they would not have been affected from like, I have to leave my country after. And they consider this to be their country, by the way. Of after like 10, 10 years of living here, my kids are like 14, they're in high school or whatever it is. Um, that's the problem. So there's a mad rush to find a job to, to keep the chain of the visas in continuity going, going right? Mm-hmm. And if you're on the H-1B, which is the most common visa, you have two months, 60 days to find a job. You know, what a lot of companies are doing to their credit and they're being public about this is that they're saying they'll do whatever they can to help employees on visas this year, which I've never heard a company say before. Now that companies like Coinbase, Salesforce, others, Faith Meta are, are making public pronouncements. So that's kind of an improvement, Good. right? Yeah. Um, and what they're doing kind of behind the scenes is that they're keeping their employees in unproductive employee status. So rather than just like saying, okay, you're out, mm-hmm. here's your severance. They're kind of like, yeah, they're giving them paychecks and they're technically employees on payroll. Okay. Um, still have access to their HR information system and, and whatnot. And, um, and so it's a gray area as to whether or not that counts as employment. Uh, 
the government probably is not going to realize it, that what's, what's happening. And so they'll, because when you, when you get a new job, right, yeah. you have to show that you've been maintaining your status, right? Yeah. And so you have to have, provide paychecks uh, from your last job. And so that's what the companies are giving them. They're giving them Good paychecks. For them. Um, for them. So hopefully yeah. that works. It's still a little risky um, because mm. the letter of the law is like when you stop working for the company, that's the end. Yeah, um, I remember from, yeah. that happened in Canada around when the oil boom and you know mm-hmm. financial boom in 2008 or the, the bust, I should say, and everybody yeah. was being laid off. And I was talking to employers every day and I just said, we need to find a a fair way of managing this you know you don't want to be the employer that just cuts everybody off and dumps them and then two years later you're trying to get them back that is not going to work for your reputation so i think it's really good that what they're doing is trying to be good employers even on the way out you know and yeah i don't think there's anything i also feel for companies too because it's like it's not their fault like if you're a u.s citizen like okay you're laid off but you know what you you have to find a job and you don't have to leave the country but it's the visa system that is is flawed it's the the system the government has created and hasn't changed since before the invention of the internet which is basically the last time all these rules were made right (laughs) um (laughs) so that's the problem yeah do you see some of them maybe starting to starting their own businesses you know, like it's kind yeah. of like, well, you know, I've got all this expertise. I've worked for 12 yeah. years in the U.S. and I'm a high level engineer or whatever. I'm going to turn that in and produce my own company. And are they able to do that from an H-1B perspective to move? They are. Yeah. You know, it's um, in, in theory, they are. Um, I do a lot of counseling on starting your own company on H-1B, which is definitely possible. Yeah. But it, it requires certain steps to be in place. And if those steps weren't in place when you were laid off, it's like hard to get them in place within that 60 day period, right? I hear um, they just need the job to kind of get stability. So hopefully th- there are people who have just been kind of, you know, laying the groundwork for mm-hmm. it for months and months and months. And for those people, they're in a better position to start their own company on their own H1B. So mm-hmm. it is in th- theory possible. Yeah. It's interesting. So, I mean, what, what we're hearing and seeing now more is people are um, calling, their companies are saying, we don't need them in the U.S., but we might, but we need them in the Canadian location of our global whatever yeah. tech company. And so we, if they, they usually have a branch or a subsidiary in Canada anyway, so then you can just transfer them to Canada from the Canadian intercompany, yeah. similar. Well, and then well anyone here. who, yeah, yeah. Well, anyone, yeah, anyone who uh, now, like, so we're now we're recording this in in February, right, mm-hmm. um, 2023, and in a couple of weeks is our H1B lottery, right? Um, for anybody who has never had an HMB before, they have to go to the lottery to get one. It's like a twenty percent chance of getting one I every know. year, which is crazy. Um, and we've seen so many people um, who, if they're not able to get into the lottery, their their employers are totally willing uh, to place them in Canada. And so, mm-hmm. um, companies that have larger departments, um, as you know, will yeah. have offices in Canada, and they can kind of facilitate the the paperwork. Yeah, but it's the companies that are smaller, like the kind of small, medium sized businesses, startups, mm-hmm. and whatnot. They don't know how to do that, and so yeah. um, they definitely could use the advice on setting up, you know, the, the yeah. systems in Canada and getting the visas and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, as a means to be in the same time zone, right? As totally, the US. it makes. We've yeah. been doing it for a few years at least, yeah. where sometimes we'll just incorporate for them, set up the sub or the branch, obviously with good tax advice. They mm-hmm. need that. I always say tax drives immigration when it's at the corporate level. 
and mm -hmm. even for the individual. And then we just transfer them. And literally mm -hmm. within two and a half years, they can be permanent residents. Like that's the crazy thing that just between Canada and the US, you can become a permanent resident in three years. And then if you can become a permanent resident in less than three, how long does it take to become a citizen at that point? You have to be about, it's about two and a half years because they count some of the time you're working. Strictly speaking, it's three years physically present in a four-year term. Right. But you right. can't, maybe it's about two and a half years because you worked as well. So then they become citizens and then, yeah, they can even move back or they can even be permanent residents and then they can transfer back as L1s, not NAFTA. Yeah. Or wait till they're NAFTA eligible and do that, but and then apply for green card and they're no longer an Indian yeah. citizen or a Chinese citizen or you know they're an actual Canadian citizen. It makes it much easier. It makes it much easier. They can spend that time building their profile that like we talked about for the EB one if they mm -hmm. wanted to come back here eventually. Yeah. Um, if they're if they're a Canadian citizen, then um, I mean forget about NAFTA, I mean, they can get the TN visa if they want to. Mm -hmm. But if they want the H-1B, they don't have to get visa stamps anymore. So that's, the Can Canadians are the only country that, where if you're a citizen of that country, you don't have to get visa stamps in your passport as permission to enter the U.S., mm -hmm. even if you have the work permit approved, right? Yeah. And the visa stamping process has been a complete nightmare since COVID. Um, and wow. in, especially like in India and other other countries, um, it's been like the, the waits are one or two years just to get visa stamps. Are you stamps. kidding? So you, people I, aren't I able to travel. Your, I read your yeah. blog about State Department plans pilot for domestic visa renewal. Is that related to this? Well, this is why, right? So okay. what's happening is I couldn't believe when I heard this. I'm like, oh my God, the government saw a problem and they actually are suggesting <laughs> a sensible solution to it. What, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, hey, they're listening uh, in. Be careful. <laughs> uh, that's, I, I'm, I'm way past that. This has been happening for years, I'm sure. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you're an Indian national, you have to get a visa stamp, usually at a U.S. consulate or embassy in India. Um, if, if you want to travel, I right? say so you want to see your family, father is ill or whatever, yeah. you, you can go. But in order to come back, you have to get the visa stamps. But since COVID, like the waits are like a year and a half or something mm -hmm. like crazy like that. So no one can travel or they're stuck or whatever it is. And um, so I think the government recognized that they're just not able to, you know, process these very quickly, that their budget shortfalls and mm -hmm. other, other considerations um, stemming from like the kind of the long reach of the pandemic. So um, they are kind of reinstating this, this program, which they used to do prior to 2004, oh. where um, they would actually issue you visa stamps here in the U.S. You don't need to travel. The reason they did the whole, like, you have to go abroad is really because of 9-11. Um, they felt so much pressure to, to verify that you're not a security threat, right? Yeah. Um, and they felt like the people that were most able to do that were the diplomats and the people who are on the ground in that specific country so that's mm -hmm. why they wanted you to go back to your country and get a visa and come back um but i guess it's a testament to how maybe security is not so much of a threat anymore which is kind of a positive yeah but i also think it's the backlog i mean even getting an yeah. appointment at a u.s embassy consulate in canada it's just months and months and months and months so you know yeah. it just i don't know when that that backlog is going to improve for sure and then the other thing i wanted to chat about is the increase in fees coming up do you think it's gonna it's likely gonna happen i mean some of these are like 100 yeah. or more increase in l's and h's and e's and i went to like i'm just shocked how much they're asking for now i know um and like the like it's like can you imagine any other industry it's like our service has gotten so much worse that we need to increase our fees like can, <laughs> can, 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 
can you imagine that's trying to get away with that um but that's how it works that's how it works works. the world's largest monopoly right so do you think it's gonna uh, gonna 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 go through i mean i'm sure yeah they're they're going through the rulemaking process right now um so they're going through the process that they're receiving the kind of like the comments as required from the public and then they'll they'll do it now the only way it's not going to go through and the way that it didn't go through during the trump administration is if they get sued um okay um you know it's but i don't know I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the basis of this suit would be because they're following yeah. all the proper steps. Whereas in the Trump administration, they kind of like they never follow the right steps, so they would get called on it. They get they... sued all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this exactly. is so different. I think it's going to yeah, go through. They're just it's yeah. a money grab. I mean, the other day, interestingly, like I do the port of entry L's, um, and we had an executive getting his L, and uh, it was. It was an extension, but really not because in Canada, they don't treat them at the ports like an extension. It's just a brand new one. And the fee has been paid, but then they asked for the fraud prevention fee again. And I had never had that happen before where they had to do that again. So it was like just another 500 here and another thousand there. You know, I just thought this poor guy. So anyway, this is the new world. (laughs) So is there anything, Samir, in your practice right now that is the biggest latest thing that people can contact you at Banyan Law specifically for that you're really kind of busy, busy focused on? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, um, especially for um, those that are in Canada, right, mm. um, who are there because like the U.S. immigration process wasn't working for you, um, but maybe at some point later you want to come back. Um, yeah. It's a it's a EB one coaching, right? Okay. It, it's like getting you ready to um, petition for your own green card. And um, the little note that if you're, if you're located uh, out of the U.S. internationally, mm-hmm. um, your applications will also give, there's two offices that do these in the U.S., one's in Nebraska, one's in Texas. Yeah. And your application will get routed to Texas, which is um, by a few degrees easier than uh, the other one. The other one. Are. But <laughs> yeah, but the other one's like a nightmare. Um, but <laughs> okay. uh, the Texas one, it's a little easier. And so, it, you know, so it's one of those things, it's another, another carrot uh, to incentivize you. Mm-hmm. Coming back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, this yeah. is really great. Samir, I really appreciate you joining yeah. us on my podcast. And I want everyone to know to reach out yeah. to you at Banyan Law. If you have any U.S. immigration questions related to tech startups and entrepreneur and corporate immigration. And um, I thank you very much. Take good yeah, care. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, it's always a pleasure dear. talking immigration with you. Oh, yeah. You All too. Right. Thanks. All right. Bye. That's it for the show today. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Please share this episode and any others you feel that would help someone looking to make that move to Canada or the United States for work or for family. It would be so great if you could also write a review in Apple Podcasts to let others know about our show. Please give us a five-star rating. If you have any questions, please reach us at akalaw.com. That's A-C-K-A-H-L-A-W.com. Or call our main office in Calgary at 403-452-9515. Have a great day. Thank you. We look forward to helping you cross borders seamlessly.